This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. I hate to focus on the numbers, but they did hit a grim milestone today. We hit 10,000 cases across the country, including another 401 here in Ontario. Yesterday, the authorities told us to expect 12 weeks of the shutdown. So all of us have a lot of questions about how best to protect ourselves through this. We have two experts standing by to take your calls and your questions. Uh, the numbers, let me give them out again. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And joining me now, Dr. Ray Dionandan, an epidemiologist and associate professor in the Faculty of Health Science at the University of Ottawa, and Dr. Sohail Gandhi, the president of the Ontario Medical Association. Thanks so much for being with us, and welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so Dr. Dionandan, first of all, is it more dangerous now than it was a couple of weeks ago? Is it more dangerous? Well, that's a loaded question. It's always been dangerous. The danger factor increases the more likely you are to get the disease. Now, the more people there are running around who are infected increases your chance of encountering them and therefore your chances of getting the disease. So to the extent that there are more cases in our community, yes, it is more dangerous. However, if people are staying at home and doing what's required, that is isolating and not engaging in pointless uh, social contact, then it is less dangerous. In terms of where we are on the epidemiology curve, the cases are still mounting, but uh, keep in mind that every time we look at the new case data, that is a lagging indicator, meaning we're looking at the situation as it was several days ago, based upon the incubation time of the disease and also based upon the backlog and testing. We won't know really if things are better or worse in another few days when the data stream catches up to the present day. Okay, well, you just uh, answered my second question was, uh, you know, are we caught up? And I guess we are not. And you're saying in a few days we will be? Well, we'll never really be caught up because there's always going to be the lag time of, of uh, symptom manifestation. People don't get tested until they get symptoms. And then we know whether or not they test positive or not. So there could be people who are asymptomatic right now who are yet to acquire symptoms. The idea behind the isolation is that people are less likely to become infected and that number of asymptomatic carriers will diminish. So um, in a couple of weeks, hopefully in one week, we will know whether or not the lockdown or the isolation that started a week or more ago was having positive effects. The data is never going to be up to date. It's always going to lag a little bit. It's going to lag less as our testing catches up, as the backlog in the labs also get cleared. Dr. Gandhi, one of the things I'm interested in is what happens to other aspects of healthcare. I mean, I've heard of a, a, a lot of family docs who've closed their doors. Yeah, so we're quite concerned about that. There's a, there's a couple of reasons for that. Uh, one, of course, is we're concerned about the supply of the PPE or personal protective equipment. We know that the government has purchased I think $75 million worth of this was the announcement last week, and there's been a commitment from the federal government to look at a $2 billion fund for this. 
and I think those are that's great, and I'm I'm grateful for those. But we don't really have a good line of sight into exactly where this equipment that's been purchased is. And it, it makes it hard for a number of family physicians, not just family physicians, but a number of other specialties like x-ray clinics and uh, uh, specialists who do procedures like uh, specialists who do colonoscopies, for example, and, uh, and other procedures to do their work if they don't have the, the right equipment. Uh, so that's uh, that's certainly one aspect of it. Um, the other aspect of it is that with all the social isolation and a lot of what are called non-essential procedures being delayed, of course, there's not, um, you know, there, there's a business reality of medicine for, say, an x-ray clinic where, you know, someone comes in and gets a procedure, there's a there's payment for that, which pays for the staff. Uh, and businesses like that aren't really set up for an environment where there aren't any people coming in, just like most other small businesses aren't. Uh, so there's two concerns that way. Okay. Um, Dr. Dionandan or Dr. Gandhi, one of the big questions that people have is the impact of asthma on COVID-19. Um, if I can take a shot at that first, the, the data around the comorbidities, as we call them, the underlying conditions, is poor. It's coming out quickly, uh, in a very sort of sporadic sense, some of the new, <clears throat> excuse me, some of the studies out of China, which are of course uh, uh, ahead of us by months in collecting and processing data, suggest that yes, asthma is a risk factor. In fact, any underlying respiratory distress um, issue is a risk factor for a worsening of the disease and therefore uh, increasing your chances of death. These include, you know, uh, obesity, um, hypertension, um, diabetes. Uh, and asthma. So yes, it is a, a factor to consider. Okay, I'm going to I'm I'm going to indulge myself and ask my own asthma question because I I've just noticed this. Um, you know, I'm usually fine. Occasionally, I get a touch of asthma, but I have noticed because of all of this, anytime uh, somebody or I start spraying Lysol, it triggers asthma. So are, are there people who are, who are experiencing symptoms because of all these chemicals we're now around? I think that's probably a little too early to tell. Uh, you know, I, I think it's good to, to clean and disinfect. Um, you're certainly correct in saying that there are some people with, with either asthma or hypersensitive airway disease of any, of any kind who do find that their symptoms will get worse in exposure to certain compounds, particularly people who have a number of allergies. But uh, I I think it's probably too early to tell if there's going to be people who have more flare-ups because of disinfectants. Uh, Dr. Dionandin, do you have a view on that? Uh, Yeah, I have asthma as well. And um, it gets worse this season every year because of allergies. Yeah. So do consider that as well. In fact, I suspect that a lot of people who are panicking because they've got some sniffles and some compressed uh, airway issues are just experiencing seasonal allergies. So always, if you're concerned that this might be a COVID issue, turn to your online assessment tool, either by the federal government or the province. And then if you check off all those boxes, you can call public health to get guidance on what to do next. It probably is allergies. Is there any one symptom that absolutely has to be there to show that it is COVID-19, like fever. I mean, we hear it's fever and a dry cough and, um, you know, sniffles, I think, occasionally, but not really. Um, is, is there anything that really has to be there to indicate the pandemic? Uh, I'm going to say 
I'm going to say no, unfortunately. You know, as a general rule, as a general rule, it's uh, flu-like illness, so fever, cough, um, perhaps some shortness of breath, perhaps some muscle aches. Those are the classic things that we look for. Uh, But, you know, there are now case reports of people presenting with things like diarrhea, and there are a number of reports of people presenting with uh, lack of smell all of a sudden and and, uh, conjunctivitis, which is, you know, discharge from your eye. So, uh, unfortunately, there's no one symptom that I can, that I think anyone can give you at this time. And that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to track this illness as well. Um, yeah, that, that business about lack of smell, which of course leads to lack of taste, is very interesting, Dr. Dionenden. Oh, absolutely. And this is one of the challenges at uh, working at a population level. We're a diverse species, and everyone's going to have a slightly different reaction to a uh, given assault on your body. There's some trends, obviously, you mentioned them uh, entirely, but there's only one true indicator of infection, and that is a positive test based upon a validated testing system. So um, the online assessment tools are great, fine, um, but if you're feeling really, uh, how to put this, really put upon by a variety of other symptoms, including the gastric symptoms, it might be worth calling public health uh, to have them guide you through the self-diagnosis process. Are we testing enough? Because I've seen, I mean, there's an issue about the numbers of test kits we have. And and at least for a while, I was under the impression that if if people were self-isolating at home and, you know, a little sick, but not a lot sick, um, don't bother testing. So I'll take that, if you wouldn't mind, as the epidemiologist. Testing is vital to getting us out of the situation. And there are three lenses to view testing from. The first lens is public health, the second is clinical, and the third is preparation or planning. From a clinical lens, we test to figure out who's got the disease so we know how to treat them. That's what most people think about when they think about testing. From a public health lens, we test to figure out who needs to be isolated and have their contacts traced. And from a health planning perspective, we test to figure out what the data is so we know where to make the appropriate investments as this thing unfolds. So right now, we're in the growth and expansion phase of the pandemic. And and so right now, the focus is using testing to figure out who's got the disease so we can treat them. So from that lens, it makes most sense to only test those who are presenting with symptoms because they need to be treated at the hospital level. But at some point, and it should have been done earlier, we should have been testing at a wider population level, a screening test kind of situation to get a grasp of what the prevalence actually is. Iceland does a good job of this, by the way. So they have shown us a path forward to use our testing strategically to better manage this outbreak. Dr. Gandhi, are are your patients being tested? Yes, if they meet the criteria, at this point in time, we don't have enough tests. And ideally, uh, as Dr. Donis, my apologies if I mispronounce it, has said, (laughs) is that we, you know, ideally you'd want to be screening the entire population and we just don't have enough tests to do that. But if they meet certain criteria and if they meet, uh, you know, if they've got enough symptoms and there's enough cause for concern, if there's a travel history or exposure to someone who is known positive, then yes, they do get screened. And so far, thankfully, I haven't had any one of my patients swab positive yet. And uh, do you test them in the office or you send them off somewhere else? 
No. So in our neck of the woods, we're very fortunate because we have an assessment center that's nearby and we work very closely and cooperatively. All the family doctors with our in our neck of the woods work with this center. Um, so I don't test them in the office and I don't actually have PPEs in the office. So I actually screen all my calls by phone first and then make sure that there's no cause for concern before they come in. Uh, and if there's a cause for concern, then we determine whether they qualify for testing or not. There are other family practitioners in the area who don't, uh, or in Ontario, who don't have that benefit. And for them, they really require having PPEs because they set up these, uh, uh, they do some of the testing themselves in their office. Okay, let's take a couple of calls. We've got Mary and Lindsay. Hello, Mary. Hello? You're on the air, Mary. Go, please Hello? go ahead. Yes. Why aren't they medicating these people? Why aren't they treating these people instead of letting it run rapid? We, d- uh, we don't... Like seniors, seniors like myself with diabetes and stuff, they're yeah. more upsetting us to die. Like it's even worse than cancer. At least with cancer, you have weeks or maybe months to live. With this, you have three days to live. Well, it, it depends on the person. There is no, there is no treatment for it. Why don't they use the treatments they use for tuberculosis? There is antiviral drugs out there they could be using. Okay, the Mary, I want to use, but they won't let the doctors use them. Okay, I'm going to let uh, Doctor uh, Dionandon respond. Sure. We I'll don't have a, that. Yeah, there, there's a whole flotilla of new tests being tried, oh, treatments being tried out right now, and they're all being. Uh, really conscientiously uh, being trialed in many countries. The tuberculosis one is interesting. There is some data suggesting now that countries with mandatory TB vaccines might have lower rates of infection with COVID. That's very suggestive. It's not conclusive. But many different things are being tried. Chloroquine is being tried. Vitamin C is being tried. Zinc is being tried. Um, Standard antivirals like remdesivir are being tried. So they're out there and they're being applied in the hospital level. Okay, let's hear from Sam in Toronto. Hi, Sam. Hi, Libby. I hope uh, you guys are doing okay. And Thank you. Everything is fine with you. Um, I have a question from doctors. You know, I have had this uh, sinus problem. Well, I have chronic sinus sinusitis, you know, here and there. It's been like almost 20 days. I took antibiotic and uh, my, uh, you know, uh, mucus and everything has gone away from the chest. But my sinus is still there with the pain. And I have this eye problem. Sometimes I get my eyes watery and burning. And there's a couple of other issues. I don't know if I should go to, because I check with doctor. He says, if you don't have the full symptoms, don't go for check. Because uh, you might actually get, get something when you go to the centers, you know. And um, he said, deal with it. But, uh, and I have a mild COPD, even though I work out and everything. But I had, like, from my x-ray a long time ago, they said, because I had a smoking, record, you know, history. And they said, you have a mild COPD. So uh, my question is that, is it from this eye burning at times? Uh, is it due to using too much bleach on everything in my car and in my place, in my house or everything? Or is it like something I should uh, pay more attention or do you want to know if you... Okay, I'm going to let you go, Sam, and I'll let them respond. Thank you. Okay. So it's a bit tough to give advice to, without yeah. knowing the full history. My, own, my only comment was that it actually speaks to what we talked about earlier, that we are actually heading into allergy season 
anyway. And, uh, you know, people with allergies sometimes will have bad years, sometimes will have good years, depending on how the, the pollens and stuff are coming out, because they come out slightly differently every year. So, you know, it could be something just as simple as that, or, or you know, it could be some form of contact irritation. Um in my neck of the woods, the best thing to do is, is I think, exactly what Sam was doing, which is to keep in touch with the doctors. They they do. We're phoning people regularly now. Let them know the symptoms haven't improved. Uh, go over any new soaps, bleaches, anything like that, or any new symptoms, and, and get the best possible advice that way. Okay. Rosie in Guelph. Hi, Rosie. Hey, Libby. I have a question for the doctors. I'm not sure which one said it, but I'm still hung up on all this testing. I know that you seem to always think there's not enough testing, but I'm wondering about all the money that's put towards unnecessary testing. And one of the doctors said, ideally, everyone in Canada should get tested. I don't really understand because you could get a test and then a couple of days later, you could get the virus. So if that was the money spent on the whole population for testing, I really think it'd be a tremendous waste so of dollars that could be used elsewhere in healthcare. So I'm asking the doctor to clarify his statement. Okay, thanks, Rosie. I'm going to let you go and let him respond. Sure, thanks. That's a good question. First, let's look through the numbers. If we test all 37 million Canadians, that will cost what, uh, a couple hundred million dollars, uh, which is a fraction of what we're doing to stimulate the economy in these tough times. So compared to what this lockdown is costing us, the cost of testing is minuscule. And I've long argued that our return to normalcy after we get the new caseload down to a manageable amount is by deploying enormous testing capacity across the country, especially now that we're going to have some new testing technologies coming. We have point-of-care testing coming very soon. Rapid 5- to 15-minute tests are coming soon as well. So imagine going to your dentist's office, waiting for a procedure, and they give you a 15-minute test to see if you're COVID positive, and they know whether or not to put on their, um, their, their protective gear before giving you treatment. That's the kind of a new normal we can expect with sufficient testing. So why do we test? We test from a public health perspective to be able to identify those who have it and isolate and quarantine them and them alone and their contacts as well, preventing the need for everybody else to be locked down like we are now. Testing gets us out of this eventually. Dr. Gandhi, uh, do you think these measures will get this thing under control? I think that the measures that they've taken so far are appropriate on a provincial level. Um, and I think that, you know, we have about another week and then we'll know just exactly what's happening. Uh, and that's partly because, as was spoken about earlier, uh, there's a lot of delay in reporting of these results. Now, the one that I look at uh, to give me a sense of what's going on in the province, I actually look at the number of people in hospital uh, and how many of those are in the intensive care unit and how many of those are on ventilators. That what That's what makes more sense to me. That gives me a better sense of what's going on in the province. And, and unfortunately, that number is rising. I think three days ago, we had 62 patients with COVID who were on a ventilator in the intensive care unit. Now we're up to about 112 as of this morning. Uh, and the number of hospital patients is in the 400s. Now, now it was about 130 uh, three or four days ago. So um, from that point of view, I think that gives you more a better idea of what's going on right now. In terms of flattening the curve, I think next Friday I'll be able to give you a better answer. 
And Dr. Dionandon, yesterday the Premier said that there is not much separating us from uh, those horrible scenes in New York or Italy. Do you agree with that? It's definitely possible, uh, especially now as I'm hearing people aren't taking the physical distancing seriously, particularly in Toronto. Uh, parties are being broken up all the time, people hopping over fences to get to restricted areas. Every time someone doesn't take it seriously, it extends the isolation for all of us. So unless these numbers come down fast within the next 10 days or so, 14 days, we might be heading for a New York situation. Now, comparing different geographies is difficult because there are different cultures, different underlying physical problems, different demographics, and different geographies. Um, That's why Italy and Canada aren't a good comparison necessarily. But New York is is fairly similar to to Toronto in particular in many ways. So it is definitely a, a realistic scenario unless we take this seriously now. And I think the public health messaging is the appropriate one for right now. Okay. Uh, that is totally all the time we have. Thank you so much, Dr. Sohel Gandhi and Dr. Ray Dionandan. Appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay. And uh, tomorrow, Free For All Friday coming up if you could not get through. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.